Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, where niche nice. is neat. I need. I am your producer Ben, alongside your director Matt. Uh, Monty is going to scout our newest location for for food. Thank you to our perfect little shea butter boy. Uh, welcome. We're here to talk about shit. Matt, how are you feeling? I am feeling good. Um, I did. I got sad news. My my like work best friend is getting a better job, so I'm happy for them. It's sad that I'm not gonna like have like that like desk buddy anymore. Um, but otherwise, I've been doing good. I gotta listen to a bunch of black metal and talk about black metal all week, so that's been nice for me. We're gonna uh, talk I about it more I, here. I we will. I didn't spend 24 hours last weekend dying at a movie festival. I want to um, do so that I'm next much, year. Mu- You're gonna be there, a hundred percent. Okay, all right. So we can talk about this on air because I doubt the the people from Music Box will listen to it, and I've been sa- saving this. I did do some pitching about trying to t- I can trying to convince <laughs> the organizers to get Hal Masonberg. Yeah, they said they said if they can, if they can get him there, they'll bring him. Now, I mean, now like- they. They might have been just entertaining me, but when I told him the story about Clive Barker in the studio, he was like, oh, shit. And I was like, there's a copy of this movie that exists that I've seen. I don't I, I don't think Hal would 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 be up for it just because it would be a legality issue. But God, that'd be awesome. You never know. They could show never the know. original version. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, now that you've said it out loud. We can edit it. Please beep that part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I I, expl- I told him, I was like, I, was, I, I said, like, I don't know what could happen, but there is a version of the movie that maybe only 20 people in the world have ever seen. And, like, that and, like, the whole ethos, a whole portion of the ethos of the music box of horror is getting is getting screenings and viewings of things that no one else has a, can experience. Um and I don't know. I want I want Hal. How <laughs> how's my how's the my my flag in the sand of like of cinema finds. Yeah, I I really want to go next year. I'm I'm gonna make it. You're happen. gonna be there. I'll as soon as as soon as tickets are available, I will send them to you because they're selling out faster and faster every year. All right. I actually so so to sh- shout out to uh, Dr. Ryan at Tenth Planet Chicago. Uh, cause he was asking me about the music festival and he was asking about the podcast itself today. And, uh, I was telling to him, I was telling him this, and I think you'd appreciate hearing this, Ben, is that he said, he said, Oh, who'd you go to the festival with? And I said, well, nobody I'm by myself. And he kind of like the, ha Oh, um, <laughs> response. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of those when I first moved out to uh, yeah, Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. But, but when I told him, I explained to him why, and I, I explained that festival, I meant, I meant to get to this last week too. So it's relevant to last week's podcast is that there is, when it comes to festivals or like kind of large arduous tasks that surround things you enjoy, whether it's a music festival or a comedy festival or a movie festival or marathon, anything of that nature. You, I at least go in with a notion of what I want to happen. I have like a notion that I know that I will not skip any movies or not any major movies. I will stay the full 24 hours. There's no quitting. There's no hesitation. It's just full on, full in, right? 
Right. And he was asking like, oh, like, you know, like, why didn't you take anybody or whatever? And I was saying that there's probably like two people, maybe three in the whole world that I could trust enough to not fuck up that experience, especially <laughs> since I've been there alone. Right. I've right. already done it alone. So I know what the perfect version of it is. Yeah. You, you and, have like, you have like your own method of going yeah. about it. Yeah. I, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yes. And there's only, there's only like two or three people in the whole world that I think I could trust to join me on that journey. And I, I, I had to say, I said the first person is my co-host Ben. Wow. Um, here I am. And there, there I'll are. be. You will be next year. October will be on episode 100 and something. And Ben will be maybe. And Ben will have gone through the full 24 hours. We're at, we're at, episode 73 i think 72 73 so so it'll be like 155 or so glorious that's a scary uh, thought you better i you'll have to get tattooed with me at the event uh come on a little one it it depends if they have something good they 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 i have have three i have three i have three different tattoos from the event I'm not getting inked up for no reason. It's got to it, be. It is. It's for I the gotta, fucking festival. I got a vibe with it. Okay. Oh, sure. I got a yeah. vibe. You got to like the imagery. You, you can put it on your inner thigh or next to your sack. Well, uh, happy post Halloween, everyone. Claw right there. How That's are you, not Ben? That's the worst idea. I'm doing <laughs> no, great. Happy, happy Halloween. Uh, happy All Hallows Day. Happy witching whatevers. Sour. Um, a few notes. One, uh, I would like to give a shout out to the people Grove Street Games who ported the Grand Theft Auto original trilogy, quote unquote original trilogy, to uh, the Nintendo Switch. It's not a great port. Okay. All right. It's not as bad as everyone said it was when it first came out. So they deserve kudos for that. And number two, I'm fulfilling my childhood dream of playing Grand Theft Auto 3 in Vice City in on a portable console, essentially uncompromised. That's beautiful. Um, and also being able to restart missions as soon as you fail them oh, is yeah. the biggest bonus to a Grand Theft Auto game ever. I mean, like, it's so much fun having the time of my life. Two... Uh, for Halloween, we dressed up as the team of Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks is now thirsting after my wife, so that's oh, fun. Re- wait, really? Yeah, he went into her DMs. Are you serious? Oh, tell me this tale. Yeah. You didn't share this with us. You didn't share this with us. It just happened today. Okay, what happened? What are the deets? Give me the DL. I, I'm 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 not going through everything. It's not my. Well, okay. Yeah, you don't. It's have to not go my it. Instagram, of course. But oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, the... yeah. But you've opened the you've opened the door, the forbidden yeah. door, so so to speak, has been cracked. She by you. she posted a a picture of her costume. Yes. Uh, one of the things said was, "This made me smile, girl." That's fucking hilarious. So that is so funny, Hobbs. You lost to Ricky Starks on Rampage. <laughs> you can lose to fake Ricky Starks in real life, pal. God damn. I don't care how big your shoulders are. Getting them. Yeah. Isn't he's not even capable of it, uh, of earning the right to to get your piece of hob. 
That's right. <laughs> my hob or my shaw. <laughs> oh, so, you can stark uh, that hobs. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to convince anyone else to follow me along through this journey. So I'll just say it right now. If you can find pro wrestling from the 1970s, it is the most fascinating (sighs) look. And just hear me out, Matt. Okay. (laughs) I, I, I'm trying. I think this will win you over. All right. All right. All right. Every single bit of wrestling, Matt, that you have ever seen ever from America. Okay. From America. Every okay. bit. So none of my hours and hours and hours of yes. dedicated New Japan pro wrestling watch. <clears throat> no. Outside of New Even New Japan to an extent, though. Okay. All right. Is directly king off the Vince McMahon Jr. inflection point. Oh. And, and I never noticed this until I was listening to another podcast, The Lapsed Fan. And they made this point, but they but they didn't really delve into it deep enough, which for an eight-hour podcast, I was a little surprised. So there's, but, a, there's almost a certain art to brevity. But from the point... Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but from the point that Vince McMahon takes over the territories, he... All wrestling in America was either Vince McMahon's wrestling or being an alternative to Vince McMahon's wrestling. And so watching wrestling from the seventies pre Vince juniors influence is crazy because there's like six, seven, eight different styles of wrestling that you just don't see anymore. So anyway, watch promos with Terry Funk from when he's 30. Is it, is it, is it like the like weird micro sub genres that existed in early heavy metal? Like the kind of like proto genres we have that now within the context of like greater knowledge, they were kind of really just doing their own thing, but it inspired what later became a more defined genre of music and style. I'd sort of flip it, but same idea where there were a bunch of different styles that ended up becoming homogenized into a few select styles. Sure. Okay. So like there there were a number of like key differences in certain territories that just by watching it, you can immediately tell the differences. I think the crowds are different. Well, I mean, yeah, it's the same same is true for the genres of heavy metal. I think when you just look at like the major genres, I mean, it's probably true for the, the different genres of any music scene. Metal is just the one we know the most about, but I see. Yeah. It'd be fascinating to watch it in that context. I'm, I'm making it my new dream to create a tiny Midwestern wrestling territory with people from wrestling schools, have a weekly show in a TV studio. Are you going to call it 50 people? Are you going to call it charged? (laughs) I'm not going to drop anyone on their head. (laughs) Anyway, today's not about wrestling. Today's not about, uh, there is some wrestling involved. Thirsting after my wife. But Wait, was what, it Powerhouse what, that Thursday at Thursday yeah. Ricky Starks? Ricky Starks is closeted gay, and everyone knows it. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, okay. look, look, that's not for me to say, but if there Just ever did. was... We're going to question the sexuality of a few murderers on this episode. All right, well, let's do it, because today we're Ooh. going... Matt, tell me you have a name for this. <laughs> um, uh, well, okay, we have two options. This is either an episode of Welcome To, or it's the first episode of a multi-part series called Heavy Education. Heavy Education. (laughs) That's the official intro. Heavy Education. 
Come on, do, do it, do it, do it. Okay, now, now do now do a, a, a scream reminiscent of Dark Throne. Go. I can't do that. Come on, you gotta you gotta do you gotta do one for each of the three bands. Matt, Matt my voice is already sore. You can you do it for me. You do it for me. No, it has to come from you. I know I can't sing. It's funnier with you do it. <laughs> you got okay. So you, you can do the you can do like I can't do the shrieking like that. But that's one version. <laughs> The the mayhem is the easiest. You kind of like gurgle and sound like you're scared. Okay, the, I so I, okay. I was telling I was telling this to you before. We, well, you go ahead. You let go. me let this me let me thing. let me introduce please, what we're doing here today. Please, Matt, go. Let Just me, go. Let me, Matt, okay. this is your time. Ben, ben, yes. Last yes, week Matt. was also my time. So I <laughs> um so. This, can you this, tell that I've been pent up from having not recorded for two weeks? Yes, I can. Um, I, dude, I yell, I yelled about transhumanism for fifteen minutes at the gym today after going to my <laughs> chiropractic section. So we both like, needed this. We needed <laughs> this today. I, I yelled. I, I, I made a whole group of people really uncomfortable by someone asking me what a grinder is, and I said it's someone who's pursuing uh, direct body modification by integrating technology into their body. Uh, in a way of pushing the biomechanical human condition forward and how I view that that is the true evolution of humanity needs to take where we become integrated with a biotechnical um, society where we are no longer traditionally human as we define now, but we create our own evolution through integration with technology in a complete and total way. So Matt, you got nine out of 10 vocabulary words, but the 10th we were looking for is blockchain. Ah, oh, damn! Better luck next time, pal. Um, what 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 okay, can you so tell us Okay, so welcome, here? well, welcome to heavy education. In uh, in heavy education, I take some of my my guests, Ben or Monty or whomever joins us, and we dive into specific scenes and aspects of heavy metal. Now, this series is partially inspired by the fact that every year we do our mid year roundup and our big roundy at the end of the year, where Ben listens to a cavalcade of heavy metal, rock, rap, and we have some interesting picks this year already. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we'll, I need we'll you to know it, that my my like top ten is very different from where it was and that's the and that's roundup. and that's part of part of the hope for this show so since ben has been introduced to all of this music and all these things without a lot of the grander context around it and just kind of dove in head first the hope is that with a show like heavy education we can both educate our fans on the type of music that we're talking about in our in our other big roundup episodes about new music but also educate ben and monty and our guests about different eras and different moments in heavy metal to give grander context to the albums we listen to in the modern day and I, my real hope is that eventually so, learning some of this information and engaging with some of this music will start to change Ben's opinions about how he feels about some of the albums that we present as the years goes on, um, as he becomes more in touch with what was the origin of it. So today we are going to be taking a look at the origin point or, or really the launching point of a genre near and dear to my heart, and that is black metal. And through that lens of black metal, we will be looking at what is arguably the greatest story of depravity, of dedication, of self-destruction, of evil, of creative explosiveness 
the Norwegian black metal scene, starting primarily in 1984, and we will be taking up to 1994 with the release and the explosion of black metal across the whole world after the events that we will get into today. So I before we start, the only point I want to make is that I've heard the stories about Norwegian black metal. I mean, if you're listening to a podcast, you're listening to us, there's a good chance you've listened to, you yep. know, better known series like last podcast on the left. And what I didn't Great know... Great podcast, shit episode. Yeah, what I didn't know beforehand is that what they... The way they described the episode, uh, the the whole situation is so wildly different from reality that it's like yeah. two different complete stories. Like they're the ancient aliens version and we're the Walter Cronkite here. We're attempting to be. A lot of people deeply lambasted the recent film Lords of Chaos. Lords of Chaos was a film designed to tell the story of this ex- of these individuals these individuals in the original early um black metal scene uh, but the film decided to go with the more ancient aliens version a distorted version of tale where things are exempt are are pushed forward or more intense or more even more crazy than they were in reality to make the story more interesting and engaging. And what's and, fucked up is it's a really crazy story on its own. And, and, the, and it's even more fucked up when you keep in mind throughout this whole thing that these are all kids. The oldest anyone makes it in this, in this series of events we're going to talk about is 24 years old. And this all started when they were in their teens. Um, which I think really dives into it. And I, I, I think one of the grander points that is seen um, from viewing this this whole thing as the large picture is who whose vision was realized. That's a question I want I want to put put forward for you as the viewer. When we talk about all of these different people, all of the people that influenced the three albums we're going to talk about today, and the countless other albums that deserve our attention, our coverage in the future. So whose image, whose idea was being realized? Um, and was that person happy about that outcome? But that's a, a question to be answered later on. To structure today's episode, we are going to dive into the history of this of these groups and what led to them. But we're primarily going to look at three different albums. Uh, ben, ben was excited to cover music this week. Uh, and when I knew that we were going to do heavy education, I knew that there were three bands to capture the scene that we need to talk about. Yeah, I was and really, you... I was, I was really boned up. I was like, you know, we talked about wrestling. I'm going to, I'm going to let Matt talk about music. I'm excited for him. And we start the show and what's Matt do? He's got to, got to talk shit. <laughs> what about wrestling? Wrestling. Um, <laughs> don't worry don't worry uh i'm 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 moist not dry um we will talk about of course the band that all of you know we must talk about mayhem the origins the the gods and princes of the black circle and we picked two other albums to talk about we picked dark thrones a blaze in a northern sky and emperors in a night sight eclipse now 
for the black metal fans listening to this episode who have deeply passionate and deep, deep wells of knowledge, probably greater than mine, about black metal, you might be wondering why we aren't talking about Immortal or Burzum or Thorns or Bathory or any of these other bands that had a massive influence on the early days of black metal. And I've, I felt that Mayhem, Emperor, and Dark Throne um, captured what the majority of people would be able to engage with. And I didn't have time to get Ben to listen to five albums. Yeah, I'm down uh, for it. I'm more than will. willing for a part two. We might need a part two just for these guys, because I feel like there's a lot to talk about here. There is. There, we, we could do an episode, and there are plenty of deep dives into each of these bands on YouTube. We could have done an episode just about mayhem, an episode just about dark throne, an episode just about emperor, an episode just about immortal and an episode just about Burzum, and all of the other many cavalcade of Norwegian black moments. And that's just one country. Yeah. You know, we could and have kid- done a whole episode on the uh, Ophelia wedding too. No, we couldn't have. <laughs> no, no, we couldn't have. <laughs> I would have killed myself. <laughs> I I would have I would you we would have had a a remake of what happened to Dead, and you you would have been the Euronymous in this situation. And if Fuck you don't you. get that joke, you We're need to strap in. Strap in. We're gonna jump into a a little a little teleporter right now and go all the way back to the 1980s. Now, in the 1980s, heavy metal was a burgeoning and exciting genre of music. It was uh, being proliferated by bands like Judas Priest, like Iron Maiden, like Motorhead, but very importantly, bands like Bathory, like Venom, and like Celtic Frost, who were making and pushing the boundaries of heavy metal and making things darker, making things satanic, making things over the top and fast so and this so so here i know i'm stopping you early but i i have a reason oh. so oh. when you're talking about these bands like bathory are are these bands at this point still firmly in the realm of heavy metal or is there is there an album where you're like this is the point where most people are like this is black metal now I think well, so so a lot a lot of what we we when we talk about the albums that preceded the bands we are going to be talking about those these albums were primarily just traditional heavy metal, um, were speed metal, um, and really became black metal with time. So Bathory is pretty close to could be considered traditional black metal. Uh, but were kind of a thrash metal, Viking metal bands, and they were part of the first wave. And in the first wave of any movement, the boundaries of what be, what come to define what is like pure or very directly um, that genre haven't really been defined yet. So it's like so, a it's like a hybrid genre at, yes, at this time, this first generation. Yeah, it's a hybrid genre that's playing. Um, and even, even the bands that we're going to talk about weren't always black metal bands. And one of the albums we're going to talk about, um, some people argue is like still partially a death metal album. Um, and that's, that's a whole other aspect of the situation, but a band like Venom, um, who released an album called black metal in 1992, 
are mostly playing like what it, what would largely now be considered speed metal. Um, oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but what that album provided was a dramatic level of Satanism, a sense of dark evil and foreboding, a willfulness of these creepy, ooey gooey, spooky vibes that really excited and pushed young metal heads um, to go forward and pursue these uh, these different types of metal, these faster, more chaotic, more primitive uh, styles of metal, which is a term Fenris will love loves to say fucking a bajillion times. Is um, it, now when you have these bands like Venom, like Bathory, uh, I keep Venom. going to Bathory because I I think it's a funny name. Um, right, Burzum wh- stole their their typeface. Oh, fuck Burzum. Yeah, um, fuck Burzum. Fuck Burzum. Now, fuck Varg. Burzum, Burzum has great music. Varg's a piece of shit, but we're going to get to that. Uh, but what what type of audience, what type of following do they have? Because something I've noticed uh, through watching Territory Wrestling, uh, fuck you, is that, <laughs> it, is oh. that before you have you know, national, international exposure, that's something like cable TV, which is easy to be recorded, you know, guides mm-hmm. people throughout when you don't have access to that people think that these bands are a lot more isolated and unknown than they actually are so like what sort of well, so all, or recognition all of, do these bands have all of these bands at it's all the bands that precede um uh the second wave of black metal in the 90s late 80s and early 90s um had i mean two degree international acclaim is, um, is there like an equivalent band today that you could be like they were about this level? Um, it's hard to say with the state the state of music uh, is right now, and I don't really listen to <laughs> much popular music. Well, then for uh, like our in our black metal or and, like in, in our field, so what, these bands these bands are probably bigger than any of the were, were bigger at least not bathory at all but bands like venom and like the more speed metal bands were probably playing to like five to six hundred people crowds okay so um, solid they were solid they were popular i mean they were well regarded because they weren't trying to make music that was inherently difficult to listen to right um they were trying to make some degree popular music maybe not so much venom um who were really trying to push things forward uh but these these bands had like if they were on if these bands were releasing videos on youtube today let's say they'd be getting over twenty thousand to fifty thousand listens okay um and celtic frost and venom for the amount of attention they got were probably would probably have gotten like a hundred thousand to four hundred thousand views. So, so like big, in the Alestorm range. Yeah, Alestorm yeah. range. I, I could I can more readily dictate to you how popular they were by the size of the venues they might have played. Okay. Um so like they're above Bigger than Reggie's. Yes. They they these bands at that time were playing venues bigger than Reggie's. Like they were they were popular enough that they were getting featured on tours with bands like Judas Priest. Uh, Got it. And okay, their that helps. Tapes and their albums were getting sold alongside these people. Now they were not as big as ACDC, Judas Priest, or Motorhead. Sure, those bands sure. were international, like massive tours. Uh, but these bands were relatively well known, um, but definitely considered on the fringe. Um, they they were. 
already pushing the boundaries of what a heavy metal was at the time. So we have these bands and their popu their popularity around the world and these albums and certain and certain influence of these things all made it to Norway. Now, we had a group of young men who decided to form a band called Mayhem. In 1984, all of these individuals went out to go to an ACDC concert where they met each other uh, because they were big fans of Venom. So to put it into context, there were fans of Venom at an ACDC show in 83, 84. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they were working together. To be they... fair, that sounds like something we would do. This is very much we would have been these people. Um so these two members, specifically Jorn St uh, Stubard, who later became Necrobutcher, and Ornstein Arnsneth, Arsneth, I don't speak Norwegian, who later became synonymous by the name Joronimus, were working, hey. were working together and trying to make bands and music together all through the early 80s. And they eventually met another, uh, another friend who came to join the band. Now, under, under this... This, this trinity of members they released two very very important albums to the story we're talking about pure fucking armageddon and death crush now the pure fucking armageddon is like an really is just a bunch of dudes in a studio throwing shit together it was eronymous necker butcher and may and manheim uh three of the earliest origins of the scene getting together and playing some music and really starting what would become the definition of a new genre of art but we really saw this personified we really saw this boundary pushed and evolved with the release of death crush now, Death Crush is one of the earliest examples of black metal we have. It is almost, some would say, more of a black death metal album, but it's pretty firmly black metal, in my opinion, with the death metal influence. But what we and, see in... And what year was this? This is 1987. Got it. And so this is really... So for all you wrestling fans, that's WrestleMania 3. That's Saturday Night's main event. Okay. And so this album is the album that pushed Mayhem towards the death, the misanthropy, the destruction, the sadness, the the depths of depravity that led to them getting the attention and getting the renown that they so, so deeply, deeply sought out. Now, we can start our story here. So there's a lot that's happened that I've left out here. And if you want to take that level of a deep dive into every fanzine and written report that happened, I will direct you to the fantastic new YouTuber, uh, resident pink, uh, resident peak. Let's just really, plagiarize him. We're going to, but I'm going to also mention his name. Um, 10 years of mayhem, a black metal documentary. I highly recommend you go and check that out. Wait, is, is he, is he popular? This is, he's only released two videos. Oh, cool. So we can ask him to be on the show. Cause I, I, I genuinely want to ask him to be on the show and talk about French black. Mother. All right. Well, damn, we got to do a good job here. So I'll stop yeah. distracting you. So you did, okay. it's a very good documentary. I watched it. It's, it's very, it's, it's like really good. Cause he crammed a lot of info and a lot a of very small yeah. time. Yeah. And, and so we're going to, we're not going to get into the same level of de details, Mr. Mr. Peaks, um, because uh, we, we couldn't we do it better. Talk, we couldn't do it better. No one has done it better. I have watched 
in the last two weeks and in, in primarily in the last three days have watched a collective like four hours of black metal documentaries and like YouTube retrospectives trying to find a source that removes a lot of the bias and the woo-woo-wooiness from the story and, and his video really did the best but to jump off that boy's dick and jump back on ours we are looking at what I think at this point is the birth of a creative boom but this is a very tight-knit group of people this is a group of of individuals comprising maybe 10 or 15 individuals trading tapes and trading ideas and if it wasn't for one man who is uh who i think is the unsung hero of this entire story it is the zine writer and publisher metallion now metallion is the reason in my opinion that mayhem got the foothold they did uh like like we see with a lot of modern day music and a lot of modern day uh, internet figures you need to go viral to matter it doesn't matter how amazing your podcast is it doesn't matter how incredible of an interview you've done with hal masonberg unless you do something that makes you go viral you cannot ever be found now Thankfully for Mayhem and thankfully for all of us as music fans, Metallion found Mayhem and began to promote them in his fanzine, which were very popular in the Norwegian Scandinavia area and amongst those within the heavy metal underground. This led to the spread and the notoriety that they deserved as being evil and cult and awesome. Uh, and so they began to play a few shows, uh, including some shows for Death Crush, uh, Death Crush, some shows for Pure Fucking Darkness, for Pure Fucking Armageddon, and this all led to a moment in black metal that should never ever be forgotten: the entrance of one Pele, or he is more commonly known, dead. Now, if you're a black metal fan, you know exactly what happened, but if you don't. Let me paint you a picture that could be construed as sad, terrifying, depressing, and potentially abusive. Now, Dead was a Swedish uh, Swedish musician and, and music fan who got caught wind of Mayhem and heard their music and fell deeply and passionately in love with what they were doing um, and deeply, deeply believed in the message that Euronymous and Necrobutcher were trying to create. And how Euron old is he at this time? He's, uh, I think he's 18, I believe, okay. when he comes to join Mayhem for the first time. Now, part of the ethos of what Euronymous and the other members of Mayhem wanted to achieve was to take music to the darker point, to push it into the raw, primitive intensity that that heavy metal needs that heavy metal was based on they felt that death metal which was supposed to be the most extreme and intense end of of metal had become too polished had become too technical and it wasn't scary anymore it was fat dudes in florida playing flourishy beautiful guitar and fenra is a, a member of the um, incredible dark throne is known as saying that what chuck was doing with death in florida was depressing and shitty and this mentality and this sense of being evil and dark and creepy led dead a, a largely mentally ill and possibly potentially disturbed, very, very tragically bullied young man from Sweden to become deeply invested in the belief and the culture that Euronymous was putting forward. 
And this was, I think, the first true believer of this entire scene that we meet. Euronymous was a prophet, in a sense, of this artistic landscape that led to an incredible amount of art being made. But I don't, I still to this point don't believe that Euronymous was a true, true believer in being evil. I think he wanted to be edgy. I think he wanted to be provocative. I think he wanted to push the boundaries of things. But as we see with what happened with some of these members, he didn't have the dedication or potentially the mental illness to push him down the drums of being truly evil or depraved. But death or dead, sorry, or Pele, as he was known to his friends, was and he really resonated with Euronymous, despite their contentious and constantly bickering relationship due to Euronymous's perfectionism. Um, both Dead and Euronymous pushed each other and pushed Mayhem to the next point of evolution. So, and- so with with Dead, um, is do we know a lot about him before he showed up? Not not an exceptionally large amount. Because I mean, like is, there is details I, about him. He was, um, he was an art school in uh, in Sweden, and he uh, he was in a few other bands. He was in a well a somewhat well known well known band named Morbid, um, from nineteen eighty five through nineteen eighty eight up until he came to join Mayhem in eighty eight slash ninety. Okay, um, that was really kind of it he was just a deeply artistic kid from sweden um he what we do know about him is one very very sad um tale is that dad was notorious for his deep deep obsession with death a a ne'er unto life altering fascination with it um, and this was linked to a story that we know about him from when he was young, where he had a near-death experience. Now, what he would tell everybody is, is that he was ice skating, and he had a dramatic fall that ruptured his spleen and led to him having this near-death experience. But what we found out through in interviews with his family and parents is that what actually happened is that a group of people from his uh, boys from his school, uh, in a in a desire to bully him, beat him nearly to death. And actually did beat him to death. Uh, That's pretty horrifying. Yeah. And you can understand why um, dad was likely. And I mean, in my opinion, pretty clearly pretty mentally and deeply injured and damaged. He wasn't a healthy individual. Yeah, It's like a, it's like a coping mechanism mechanism at that point. His, his obsession with death and his obsession with mayhem and the music they were making was a coping mechanism for the deep amount of depression and pain he felt. Now, unfortunately, he did not meet the healthiest individual. He met Euronymous, who was kind of a dick and was pretentious and uptight about what he wanted to achieve and, and is famous for saying that, uh, I honestly think Dead is mentally insane. Uh, Hellhammer described him as having a very strange personality and being depressed and melancholic and dark, which fit into a band who was trying to become the most evil and dark band in the world. Now, what what really leads to some of the most incredible events ever was the most famous show I think in black metal history, the 19 the February 3rd 1993 show 
where Mayhem played with their full, arguably truest lineup. This show included the incredible Necro Butcher. It included Hellhammer. It 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 included uh, Euronymous and included Dead on vocals. Now, this show is notorious for being the show uh, where you've seen any of the photos with the decapitated pig heads on stage. Um, And it was the show notorious for Dead coming out on stage. And what Necro Butcher thought was going to be a, uh, a him pretending to cut himself open on stage and led to Pele becoming so frustrated by the fact that Necro Butcher handed him a dull knife that he cracked a beer bottle open and shredded his arm wide open in front of a crowd, showering them in his blood. And Memphis nearly... did it first. True, true, he did. No, and... no, no, like, like actually, in a, it, it's a, something that... Uh... Joe LaDuke did in Jerry Lawler's Memphis territory in the eighties um, is to prove how crazy he was. He took a knife and just started slashing his arm open on live, like local broadcast was, television. Was he trying to kill himself? No, he was just really stupid. Dad was trying to kill himself. Oh, okay. Um, or at the very least get very close because he nearly died. Um, and the crowd had to come and wrap him in, in whatever cloth and shirts they had to keep him from passing out from blood loss. And at this point, large and larger numbers of members of the crowd decided to run out of the venue in fear because they didn't know what Mayhem was doing. But those who but you stayed finished in, the set, right? He finished the set. Dead came out literally half dead and finished the set in front of a crowd containing members of the future band's Dark Throne. Emperor, Immortal, Thorns, and many other members that came to be known as part of the Black Circle of Black Metal. Now, in this time, Mayhem had not produced any new music. They had only produced a few demos, a few live a few live, live experiences, and that was really it. Nothing had really come out of Mayhem musically, and this is partially because of Euronymous's deep, deep perfectionism that he had towards his releases and that's understandable for what mayhem is now what did happen was mayhem began to become a mayhem and specifically euronymous became a center point of connecting the black metal world and he decided that he was going to help cultivate what black metal was and that brings us to our first album so, album. but, but oh. before we get to the first album real quick yeah. just to clarify because i feel like the relationship with you know, I feel like Dead in many ways is the protagonist of at least the first portion of this story. Oh, yeah. I forgot to tell you what happened with Dead. But the the thing that I don't understand is, were, was the rest of the band in on it? In like, on what? In on, like, his outlook. Like, I, I feel like there's a disconnect where, or maybe there's not. Let me, let me put it, it could, this way. Yeah. Euronymous, Necro Butcher, Hellhammer, they they believed in 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 the intensity. They believed that black metal was about being evil and pushing the boundaries. They they believed that as artists. Dead believed that as a person. That's and when, when I said wild. earlier that that Dead was a true believer, I mean insofar as that he went beyond just pushing the boundaries for the sake of art 
like someone like Fenris or uh, or Euronymous was, and took it to the point where it was his himself. The the genre sits sits itself in the sense of chaos of insanity, and Dead really was a damaged individual. So, do you think that when he participated in this music, he did it for him, or he did it for the music? Both. Okay. He did it to have his pain and his and his his intensity heard because black metal captured what he was feeling. Got um, it. Just okay. just how black metal to this day captures what a lot of us are feeling. Um, someone like Dead, who was also a great artist. Yes, he. I will say he wrote a lot of the lyrics that made it onto D Mysterious. He was a great writer. He was a he was an incredibly unique vocalist. If you go and listen to. Uh, the version of Freezing Moon with Dead's vocals. It is one of the most chilling and scary things you'll ever hear in black metal. Um, but a lot of it, I think, was for the sake of doing it. It was the sake that this was the only only way he was able to be truly expressive. Hmm. Um, where I think that's different for a lot of other individuals in the genre. Uh, especially at the time. And I don't know if Euronymous was ready. Um because I don't think he truly understood what he who he was dealing with. And Dead is Dead is, is a great example because Dead really was an individual who was hurt. Um he, he's also well known for being the inventor of corpse paint. Um he would bury his clothes with dead animals outside and then wear them on stage to smell like death. Uh before he would record vocals, he would take corpse he would leave corpses in little paper bags and inhale their smells. Um, and otherwise was just a really sad kind of nice normal guy um, but black metal helped to bring out the most intense aspects of himself and I think what really really ended up leading to what happened to dead was the fact that he was isolated he was stuck alone with these people away from his family his friends from anybody out in the middle of Norway by himself and as many of you know, and as, and for those of you that don't, what ended up happening was that one summer afternoon in 1991, while everyone else was away, for, oh, actually it wasn't, it wasn't summer, it was an Easter, while everyone else was away with their families, Dead was alone, completely by himself, in the uh, house that him and the mem other members of Mayhem lived and recorded in, and he decided to take his own life. Uh, he originally tried to cut his wrist and bleed out in the woods, and when that didn't work, he walked back into his room in the uh, house they lived in and shot himself in the head with a shotgun. Now, what makes this part of the story really fucked up is that when Euronymous discovered the corpse, the story goes that he climbed in through a window because Dead had locked all the doors in the house. And the first thing he, the first decision he made upon seeing Dead's body was to run back to town about an hour or 40 minutes away and buy a disposable camera so he could take pictures. Yeah, it's pretty and, fucked up. And record, and, and the story also goes that he rearranged the crime scene or the death scene to most accurately capture um, the death of dead, including a, a, a famous photo of a shotgun laying next to the corpse of dead with his brain being splattered on the floor around you. And if you, if you want to go and find the photos of this, they are on, they are on Google, uh, because, uh, Euronymous shared, 
uh, these photos and use them for an album release. That's so sweet of him. Um, and the story also goes, but I've heard I've heard a lot of individuals say this has largely been debunked that um, that he actually took pieces of Dead's body and of his skull fragments and handed them out to members of who became the Black Circle as necklaces. Um, there's no confirmation of this, uh, but that is the story of what happened. Now that leads us in 1991. Uh, I don't the, need to see a fucking dead guy, Matt. Jesus I thought that was Christ. Gonna, I didn't know it was gonna come through like that. Uh, Jeez, yeah. dude. That's fucking... a re- that's the real photo Eronimus decided to took take, and he re he moved that shotgun and apparently moved the knife to be in the photo with his body. God damn! Delete that shit. I don't All have right. room in here for this. I'm a family man. <laughs> you show it to your children one day. Uh, yeah, look that up at your own risk. It's not safe for life, uh, to put it lightly. But Mayhem decided to put it on on a picture for a a, a single called Dawn of the Blackheart. Um, yeah, so let's sit with that one for a second. Um, and remember, these are children. These are 20-year-olds. These are 18, 19-year-olds doing all this shit. It does feel very edgelordy to do yeah, that, doesn't that, it? Yes, it does. And it is. It's a total fucking cringy edgelord move. And Euronymous was a piece of shit for doing it. Um, but what what came of this was, again, another layer of the intensity and of making what was happening in the black metal world real. This This moment, as with others that come forward, made the dedication and the intensity of what was being achieved very fucking real and I mean, people potentially and to some degree viewed dead as being the true the true messiah the 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 the, the jesus who died on a cross for black metal so to speak i mean he sort of is though isn't he i mean yeah. i mean i i feel i mean you know from a somewhat outsider's perspective on the whole genre like it seems like this is kind of the chasing the dragon moment, right? Well, the dragon got chased. Yeah, yeah. but like, but but like this is the, you know, the at its heart, black metal's kind of this, you know. Well, it's this and what came next. Sure, oh, but but still, right. I, I I just find it interesting that, you know, there, there's not a lot of times where you can point at a moment and be like, that's it. Yeah. You know, this, but this, it almost feels like the, we have, there's three moments in black metal that went, Oh fuck. They did it. They really did it. It reminds me of the story of, uh, you know, the perfect utopia town, mm-hmm. except they have to choose like one child to suffer all of their pain yeah. and torment. It's sort of like that in a way where it's like this whole thing was built off of the corpse of this kid who killed himself. And that's not true, but you know, it feels like if you could point to a moment, it's like, hmm. And, you know, what else you're about to mention? Yeah, it, it really it really was that. And I think that played a huge impact in how far uh, many of these other bands and individuals took the situation. Um, and that leads us to 1991 um, with After the Death of Dead, uh, Euronymous goes on to make a 
record store in in downtown Oslo called Hell or Helvaket, which just means it's just hell in Norwegian, and really begin to become this this centerpiece, this cult of personality <laughs> um, at the center of the black metal scene, and as a kind of leader of what was the fr- of the Norwegian black metal scene and it's argued who really was the leader who was the influence everyone has an opinions but for the sake of the story we're telling today the center point would be Euronymous now without getting into too much details about the individuals who showed up in this time we get the first real real outcome of all of this so after, after what occurred with Dead and the show that happened in 1990, a band named Dark Throne began to make more and more music. Now, these, these gentlemen started playing music together all the way back in 1988, producing mostly death metal and playing within the death metal genre until they were inspired by some very special men in mayhem. They had released an album in ni- a, only a year earlier in 1991 called A Soul Side Journey, which is a dedicated death metal album. It's actually pretty good for what it is. But what really made the difference was in 1992 when Nocturno Culto, Zephyrus, and the immortal and, and undeniable Fenris released a little album called a blaze in the northern sky now ben was this your first time listening to this album that was my first time listening to all three of the albums so Uh, so so this one sits the earliest in the continuity of what you listen to today and i'm very interested to hear what you thought of a blaze in the northern sky i liked it uh i mean i liked all three of these i my my issue here is i is i sort of uh, I listened to this one with the context of the other two. Oh, so, okay, so you listened uh, to this last. I listened to this one last. I sort of felt like it was between the other two. Like, this was the most, uh, like, traditionally listenable. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought I thought there would be another one that you'd find it more in the listenable end of things. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not saying any of them were bad. I thought these were all. No, very no, no. I, I, there's, I, I, I view of the three albums we're talking about here. I view the Emperor album as the most approachable. Sure, maybe. Yeah, but, but also but, I, but also I have like the weird fucked up vantage point for where I'm coming in. Really. So, you know, what would what would Matt Junior think is the most approachable? And I feel like it'd be this one. Yeah, arguably yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and this and this album is is truly the transition point so with it death, feels like it too with, yeah with death crush with everything mayhem was doing with what bathory with venom had all done before culminated in the release of this album because it, it is the album that truly represents the transition from death metal or what was death metal into what became true or norwegian black metal and i think it's it's incredibly, it's incredibly uh, important to note the fact that every release of the album came with a note saying, this album is eternally dedicated to the king of death slash black metal, Euronymous. Um, and his influence and his, his contr- not necessarily control, but his, his, his personality and, and his, honestly, yeah, his control. Of, his, his cult of personality. His cult of personality led Dark Throne in less than a year from being a death metal band 
into creating the three, three of the greatest black metal albums ever released one year after another. And this is the and the reason I chose this album over what is arguably a better album in Under a Funeral Moon and also potentially a better album, Transylvanian Hunger, is that this album, chronologically speaking, really does represent that transitional point. And so Ben, I'd I'd love to take a step back because I could t- I could this album's perfect. I love every second of it. It's amazing. Ben, what did you hear? What did you notice about this album? So what I noticed about all three of these albums, um, but I'll start with this one, is that I, I I'm both I'm amazed that it sounds as good and as clean and yeah. as modern as it does. But I can also see how the genres move forward in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone that I've listened to who can do this sound necessarily better than these guys. No. no. I also I, I also feel like that they had this one sound and they really like hammered it in the whole album and it's like I don't it sort of felt more like one song playing for 45 minutes. Than... And it is it is only five, uh, six songs. Yeah, but, like, it feels like one piece. Mm-hmm. It's one large than, composition, yeah. Yeah, rather than a lot of the albums we listen to today, which, you know, have a lot more variants. Like, this, is, this ain't Gone Mage, you know? No. no. This, is, this is pure, raw, unadulterated black metal. Um, at its at its birth point, before it really was truly truly defined, I think it'll be very fascinating to uh, have you listen to and review "Under a Funeral Moon" and "Translating Hunger" in the future. One of the ways I described it was it felt a lot like a video game soundtrack. Mm. Yes, like if yeah. you put this album in as the soundtrack to like Doom, it'd be perfect. Yeah, we need more black metal based video game soundtracks. Have, there's a uh, one for Switch. Have you played Dusk? It's on PC no, also. I have not. It's basically Doom or Quake. Okay. But it's got really fucking good music, and you just okay. blaze through. You'd love right. it. I'll check I it mean, out. I mean, yeah. Okay, back to black metal. Right. So, uh, in my opinion, A Blaze in the Northern Skies, I said, is the most foundational transitional album. There are moments on this album that sound like basically straightforward death metal because clearly Fenris and the boys were still try- interested in making um, some level of, of death metal and they have an unlisted member in the band whose name I can't find now who is their original bass player uh, who in, in a large amount of ways oh yeah, Dag Nielsen um, who was a member of the band up until the, up until the release of A Blaze in the Northern Sky who was the one who really wanted to be playing death metal. Now, thankfully, they were able to get Dag Nielsen out of the band and stay dedicatedly into making Good old pure, Dag. Good old Dag. Left the band in 92, in 91, and we were left with a blaze in the northern sky. Arguably and undeniably a perfect album. It is one of the, like, what would you say, Ben, is the most incredible transitional wrestling event in history? An event that set the stage for what would become an incredible awakening into something bigger. Uh, probably WrestleMania one, or if you're from the other side of the spectrum, uh, Black Saturday in 1984. 
for the wrestling nerds listening to this, that's your reference point for what this album was. Now, where we go from here is we have to dive a a little deeply into the story. And I don't want to get into the real big picture, but I'll get to my, I'll get very pretty quickly to my ethos, Uh, my synthesis of, of what I think really occurred and what makes the scene so much more fascinating is what we see the entrance of our second true believer we see the interest entrance of a man who is more notorious in black metal than any other is more hated and more controversial than anyone else in black metal a man who has a deep connection to the band uh, Immortal, as he was in a band called Old Funeral with Abbott, who's another one of the most important black metal bands in history. We have Varg Vikernes. Boo. boo! Yes, big boo. Ben, can you tell us a little bit about Varg Vikernes? He's an asshole and a murderer. Damn right. So Var- Varg is a man who, when he once, discovered... once, you, once you graduate to convicted murderer, and like Nazi. that's 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 sort of where your your uh where your description ends, you know. Yeah, he's also like pretty openly a fascist, um, and like is an anti-immigrant individual who thinks that European Europe should be left to only Europeans um and regularly talks about the jews so if you want to know what kind of man we're talking about here it's an edgelord who is drawn to a hyper edgelordy group of people um there's a kanye west joke in here he he is the kanye west of black metal um or maybe that's dead it's hard to say because they're both mentally disturbed well in in 1991 and 1990 after the death of dead varg came and joined mayhem and became a deep follower of uh of uh, euronymous and of the black circle um in addition to releasing some of his own very prominent releases that we decided to not listen to today uh partially because of time and partially because varg's a piece of shit um now I say all this and I, and I, and I know there's probably some bristling black metal nerds out there hearing me insult Varg or, or Count Grishnak as he might want to be known. I will say here now that his music and his releases, especially his self-titled Detsam Emergvar and Helvis Lishtar Os, um, are some of the most important black metal albums ever released, uh, are some of arguably some of the best black metal released if in the top 50 or the top 20 albums ever released in black metal. Uh, but he is a hunk of shit. Um, and he is at the center as lo- along with Euronymous, Fenris, Faust, and several others who led to some of the most vicious and brutal crimes we saw across all of Norway. At this point, the crimes that are most relevant to these individuals and to having another true believer amongst the black circle is that Varg and Euronymous at this point were both being so encouraged to push things further, to push things deeper, to go farther into the escapades of evil, that they led to the burning of over 14 churches across Norway. Um, now, these were these were these famous wooden stave churches that were being burned both in the name of being edgy and cool um, and also being burned in the name of Satan, 
Um, though these men would not be considered Satanists, they were more Satanic worshippers, kind of edge lords who thought Sa Levian Satanism wasn't hardcore enough for them. Um, and, and to some degree, the individuals burning these churches were also neo-Nazis and those who were deep believers in the cultural heritage of Norway who wished to reclaim these sites that used to be religious sites for uh, the Norse religion, which I do. I don't necessarily support them burning the churches, but I do support them um, holding on to their pride of their religion and of their faith that was squashed out and largely destroyed by Christian mercen uh, mercenaries and missionaries who used a lot of brutal and intense and cultural destructive practices to convert large amounts of Norway, Finland, and Sweden um, in a terrible and aggressive fashion. Now, that's again another discussion for another time, but these men went around burning churches. Um, and before we get to Varg and his release with Mayhem, we have another album with another murderer on it. We have whoa, whoa we have the first album of '94, the most important year in black metal releases. We have the Feb the album released on February 21st, 1994, in a Nightside Eclipse by Emperor. Now. This album is largely and very popularly known for being the first symphonic black metal album. An album that was not afraid to utilize the influences of like synths, of keyboard, of more lyrical and ambient material. Now, they are just as evil and deep and satanic as any of the other bands, but their sound to me is much sweeter and smoother. Now, Ben, how would you describe In the Nightside Eclipse? Good. Very good, in fact. Could you tell me why? Oh, yeah, sure. Are, I mean, are yeah, we going to yeah, go around yeah, the world with 50 to. fucking questions here? <laughs> I feel like you you really did me dirty by doing all, by sending me these in reverse order, Matt. I didn't, um, I, I didn't think about it at the time. Those, <laughs> so, I, I sent them to you in the order in which I thought of them. Okay. Uh, so... When I was listening to this, I felt like this was leaning more in like the the type of metal that like Nick would listen to. It is. Yeah. I mean, this is the type of black metal that Nick would listen to. Um, I, I feel like this is the bridging point from like music I like into music Nick likes. Mm. Maybe maybe not. That Talking some much. shit. I, I mean, I mean, I I do really like this album. Um, but I thought it was. I thought it was very creative. I felt like out of the mm -hmm. three albums, this was the most creative and sort of uh, experimental, maybe. Maybe that's not True. the right word. I mean, but, at, the, but at if, the time, their usage of like synths and more operatic and symphonic things were pretty... It felt the most complete out of all mm -hmm. three that we listened to. It's the best produced. It has the cleanest, mm -hmm. most beautiful sounding production of any of the three albums. And I think that was done... Just as the, the production on Dark Thorn's album and the production of Mayhem's album are more intentionally dirty, this has a much more intentionally clean recording. I mean... I, I, okay. What? Well, I mean, like, everything's... I, I mean, that's sort of expected to be, like, intentionally clean, right? I mean, most bands try to be... Well, not in black. Black, black okay. metal is notorious for, like, everything sounding recorded in a fucking tin can. Like the not, nothing on that on the on the dark realm is clean. It's very sure. muddled. It's heavily distorted. On the, on this album, especially in song in the uh, the opening non intro track into the Infinity of Thought, 
has these very clean, well-produced, very concise guitars. The piano and the synths shine through like brightly above or darkly in a sense over the production of the album where and like you said in dark throne of blaze and northern sky it's like a wall of continuous noise yeah i i feel like the way to describe this is i felt like this album had world building if that makes mm-hmm. sense I, yeah. I feel like it really had an aura i this was the album that had the thunder rolling right yes yeah this is, that's, this is the that's album that really has fucking cool and like this, no bands do that now or none i've heard not, it's, like, yes, it's not nearly as common to use the kind and, of pure, raw, primitive atmosphere that we yeah, see on it, this album. Yeah, and that's what I like about these albums, yeah. is that it's, it's what I like about wrestling in the 70s, uh, is that they're just doing shit because it works. And they, weren't, and it's, they it's weren't trying not to over, copy anybody by right, each other. They were it's just not, influencing one another. It's not overcomplicated. Like, they're like, hey... This would be really cool with some thunder rolling in. That's pretty atmospheric. And so you just put it in. You don't need to add in all these extra bells and whistles because they're keeping it simple and it fucking works. It's good, you know. Yeah. And I and it's 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 funny to hear you say that because so many of these of these men of these individuals making black metal were trying so very hard to have no one like or or be involved with the, what they made. And they were such incredible artists and musicians that they ended up making stuff that sounds beautiful. Yeah, um, right. it sounds like genuinely soothing and incredible for the art form. Um, now, unfortunately, as I mentioned, this album and the men who made it don't come without some baggage. Um, this album, uh, one of the members of this album, known as Faust, the al- the album's drummer, the album's drummer, is uh, very very well known. For having stabbed Magnane Anderson to death, including stomping in his skull. And no, I do not have a photo of this. Now, it is... Does that it, mean a photo of it exists? I don't know if it does. Uh, I doubt it. Um, but Bard Goldvik Ethium um, is is known as... Is, is said to have decided to do this on a, on a whim. Now... Some reports say that that Faust was seen leaving a local gay bar prior to this. Um, But the area that he was walking back through was largely like a park where um, in the closet gay men um, in Norway would meet up to like hook up and be in private. Now, what ended up happening was a man named Magne Anderson approached Faust and and tried to solicit some good times from him. A little bit of sucky sucky fun time. And it was unfortunately in that moment that Faust decided that he was going to kill this man. Um, Once they had secluded themselves into the woods, uh, Faust decided to stab him 37 times and kick him in the head repeatedly as he lay there dying. Um, Then the police, when they came to investigate it, had zero evidence, had no no suspects. And for a year... Uh, Faust remained free. However, in a bid to seem cool to his edgy friends Euronymous and Varg, uh, and a few others at Helvecht, he told them all about it and told them how badass he was and then went on to burn some churches with them. Um, and it wasn't... And after that, somehow, you know, I'm not calling anyone a snitch here, uh, he was a ra- later arrested. And... Um, 
uh, and sent to 14 years in prison and uh, was released due to good behavior in 2003 after serving nine years and four months. That seems really fucking light, doesn't it? Well, wait until you hear what yeah, you want. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know that like they have really He had nearly the maximum, maximum possible terms. sentence possible. Yeah, um, like and I, it wasn't until 1993 that he eventually got arrested and confessed to the killing after what happened with Varg. So, like, I, I just don't get that. But they have less crime than we do, so maybe Definitely. they know something we don't. Yeah, well, they they have. It's, it's they, hard. It's hard to critique it, right? Well, they have. They have probably the best punitive system of any country in the world because they've run out of prisoners because they've actually helped reform and let their citizens come back and become members of their community. Where if Faust had been an American musician, he probably would have never left prison and never continued to make arguably fantastic and incredible music. Um, which he has, and he did, and hasn't committed any more crimes that we know of. Still killed a dude, though. Still killed a dude, and still killed, and, a dude. and was largely considered a hate crime for uh, killing him. Believed at the time, killing him due to his sex, his sexuality, whether that was Faust's own sexuality or the other man's. Um, and that leads us to one final album, arguably the most important album ever released in black metal. An album that was released posthumous, uh, humorous, humorous, posthumously, posthumously for the man, the myth, the legend, Euronymous. Now, many know the story of Euronymous's death, so I won't spend an incredible amount of time on it. But after years of argument, of showing one another up, of jealousy, of of rage, and of miscommunication. One Varg Vikernis believed that Euronymous had uh, began to believe that he was going to kill him. And Varg claimed that he was not a real Satanist and that he was not a true believer in everything that was happening in the world of the black metal community. And he decided that he was going to do something about it. After another member of the Black Circle uh, listened to Euronymous bitching about Varg on the phone, where which many people believe was in a joking and un and unhonest uh, statement, Euronymous said, "I'm gonna fucking kill Varg." Now, Euronymous was well known for being a boisterous little prick. Who God, would say I bet like this. I bet whoever tipped him off feels like a fucking dick. Well, the problem is is that you is that Varg was listening in on the phone call because uh. they were at Varg's house hanging out mm-hmm. and as soon as Varg see, heard this he launched into I don't want to call it a rage but into an obsession and drove over 10 hours back to Oslo where uh, Euronymous was living came to his apartment banged on his door at 4 in the morning basically demanding that Var- that Euronymous let him in so they could finally squash all of these issues with their contracts because uh, Varg was in the process of potentially getting a contract with one of the major record labors, Ereg, at the time, and believed that he needed to get out of his contract with Euronymous's production label. But none of this was for those noble reasons. They were all simply a guise to allow Vikernis to stab Euronymous um, 23 times to his body brutalizing his body including stab wounds to the head to the temple and to the side of the head 
and That's Varg, not metal. not metal at all. And uh, Varg, Varg almost got away with the crime too, uh, except that he gave several interviews to major la- to major magazines, basically admitting to having burnt churches and killed people. And uh, when people put two and two together, it eventually led to the arrest of Varg Vikernis. Now, this moment, this arrest and the death of Euronymous firmly and completely cemented the legacy of black metal. And, I mean, to a large part, Varg gave these interviews as a way of promoting his album. He did it to believe that it would promote both Mysterious and it would promote his upcoming release by creating an even more of an image of evil and disparity between the, before the genre because at this point these bands were actually starting to make money and right. and Varg believed that if he gave these interviews and was the in the edgelordy of edgelordest photos you will ever fucking see uh, where he's on the cover with his hair in front of his face to hide his identity holding two giant curved blades that have spiked brass knuckles on them um beautifully captured in the lord of chaos movie regardless how you feel about it um and this led to a dramatic amount of attention being thrust upon the black metal scene and it did it worked it led to var getting sentenced to 21 years in prison and the death of one of the most important people in the foundation of a genre of music but it might have achieved exactly what was intended now, Euronymous never wanted black metal, I think, to reach the heights of popularity that it has now, but he wanted the evil, he wanted people to fear and to be afraid of black metal. And with the actions of Faust, with the actions of Dead, and with, finally, the actions of Vargvikernis, Euronymous got his wish. The world finally had its eyes on black metal. The world finally was paying very close attention to exactly what these men were doing and the terrible dark and evil acts that were occurring and in a in a act that none of us thought would actually happen in may 24th of 1994 after have already been being finished recorded for a year we got the release of d mysterious dom satanas arguably the most legendary and important album in black metal history recorded by euronymous hellhammer Attila and Count Grishnak on bass, who the family of Euronymous tried to have removed from the album, but Hellhammer released it anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. With lyrics from Dead on multiple tracks, um, lyrics by Necro Butcher and other members. This is probably the most seminal piece of black metal outside of maybe Mayhem's, uh, outside of uh, the other two albums we talked about, some of the releases by Dark Throne and immortal ben what did you think about the mysterious the dom satanas i at least finally know why everyone does the stupid voices oh yeah i think i think this is one of the best black metal albums i've ever listened to right um i i and i think what really puts it over the top are the vocals i think the vocals are super fucking good they're alien they're like borderline unhuman and what I love about them, and I don't know that really any band nowadays does it, is that it, you know, we were talking about like six, nine months ago, maybe even longer, we were talking about that band where their album was like, they like recorded it a block away, so it's all distant. Yeah. 
Do you remember that? What, what I, band I, that was? No. I, I remember I really liked it, whoever it was. But, like, there was this wall in between the recording and mm. the band. And so, what I love about this is there's the, the music playing. I feel like there's a wall separating it, and then the vocals are, like, in, right in the foreground with you. Yeah. You know? And it gives it a real disconcerting feeling where like you can kind of understand it it's pretty clear vocals yeah. past like, a certain point especially when he says funeral fag yeah but like like the voice and who does the vocals again this is this is Attila so okay. Attila is the man who replaced dad and is well known for being Hungarian and so he had like a, an accent and a vocal delivery that Euronymous had to re- tool the vocal delivery around for the whole album hmm but uh, oh i mean it paid off though yeah 100 so, it, it's so alien and so engrossing and so uh it, like, like it's like i get it now i get yeah. why everyone else did this the stupid voice because like they're trying to do this and i get it because it's fucking awesome it's i i i'm i'm pissed off because like i don't have the right words to describe it yeah. really but that's like the th that's like the first thing that immediately comes to mind with me. Uh, the whole album, like I was saying before, it kind of feels like one long song to me. Yeah, it's um, one grand. I think there is a lot more. Um, th there is nuance. There yeah, is a lot more nuance. I'm, I'm, to I'm it. not. I'm not saying there's not. Um, but like. I, I feel like there was a level of depth that was added later on, you know, as people are iterating off of this. But I mean, yeah, well, know, I mean, get, this really is the like this is the Seinfeld of yeah, black metal. This is this is the WrestleMania 17, or like yeah. this is the defining moment, and it and it really is one of the few albums that. I mean, this was crafted over four years, you know, from 1990 through 1994, or 1993, really. This album was being perfected and worked on and detailedly and dedicatedly done by uh, Euronymous and Necrobutcher because they wanted to create something truly perfect. They wanted to create the darkest, most evil, most terrifying music they could ever come up with. And I think they really succeeded the the album truly does feel epic and mysterious and the attila's vocals sound like an evil spirit yeah um, they really do i feel i feel like with all these albums i'm having a hard time putting into words because they're all just really good this is my they're favorite sem they're seminal out, out albums of, yeah out, out of out of all the albums this one is my favorite of the three so now, now, um, now your black metal bar is set. So now every time yeah. we listen to a new, younger black metal album, it'll have to be compared to the what is, to some people considered the, the final point. I like don't know how you make it. I I don't know that you can make this sound better. You know, there's yeah. I mean, there's the later releases. There's Transylvanian Hunger. There's uh, the Gersium albums. Um, but really, it's, I mean, just for a lot of people, this is where the buck stops. Um, yeah, I mean, I may get Mayhem it. isn't everyone's favorite. I mean, there are those. And, and 
And, and if you look at their whole career, I I, genu I think a band that I like more than Mayhem is Dark Throne. Um, Dark Throne played the sound of black metal that I like a little bit more, but D-Mysterious is... Is the most important is arguably the most important black metal album ever released. Um, yeah, I don't, I I don't I don't even know how to describe it. Like how, mm -hmm. what what would what would you use to de to describe this album to someone? Pure fucking black metal. Um, it it's 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 fast. It's intense. It's raw. It is dark. It is methodic. It is melod not methodical. It, it is methodical in, in its pre presentation. It's melodic and it's more than anything else before it. It's the it's it's an example of an art form being perfected in its in its in its origin. I'll go beyond that. I feel like this album set the rules for the genre. In a sense, I mean, that's, I, I mean, that's I mean, difficult. I'm not, I'm not for saying. For the wider public, right. I, yes, it did. Yeah, between between this um, and the other albums released in '94, this set the tone for what would be considered raw black metal. I mean, um, from the from the cover, you know, I mean that's oh the album much, the album artwork's the, stunning the, as well. The the album artwork has a has a, a church and their logo is one of the first logos where you can't really read it uh and it's mixed with a bunch of upside down crosses and like Super dragon awesome. wings which I mean, is you should look at dark cool as hell. that shit's unreadable uh you know i mean even their song names are pretty baller funeral fog freezing moon pagan fears and of course the the title track de mysterious dom satanas which means lord of satan's secret rights um, yeah, it's just fucking smart, dude. It's incredible. You know? Yeah, it's incredibly well made. And 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 as we wrap up here, I think what I've really come to terms with, and I I came to the conclusion of the other night reading about all of this and listening to all of this, is that I think Euronymous created a cult of personality that escaped him. It grew bigger than what he could hold on to. He wanted to be the prince, the Satan, the Dark Lord of black metal, and for a long time he was. But after the attention and the actions of those around him, it grew b bigger than him. Um, and I believe he it's became just another victim. He did of what he he helped create of his goal of a bunch of edgy teenagers pushing art, pushing music to its creative extreme and finding out what happens sometimes when the, the sword is double sided. But what these three albums, I think, truly truly do capture as well is the fact that these are all incredible artists these are dedicatedly incredible musicians who were able to take what was being done in music and truly push it to a new avant-garde and extreme lens and i think that is something that informs all of the metal that comes out after this period and plays a huge role in the music we listen to today you can hear bits of of d mysterious of funeral of um of a blaze in a northern sky of of everything immortals released of everything emperors of all these early emperor albums and almost every single black metal album you listen to today if we include Burzum in that in that list i think almost every single black metal band releasing music today to some degree has to pay homage to what was done on these three albums i mean pretty much 
I, I feel like every song we listen to and every indie artist in a way has something to owe to this. I mean, I mean, maybe that's going too far, but just the, I mean, when like, it, cause like I, when I listen to a gone mage, you well, know, yeah, it's like it, it, even taking away the fact that he's obviously influenced by the genre. I just feel like the concept of his music, which is a rejection of traditional musical structure and you know just trying Which, to be different i feel like a lot of that's fostered from this scene from like this, this from Euronymous yeah. and everybody i agree it it's when i when i hear modern black metal fans bitching about bands doing weird shit with black metal it doesn't make a true or cult or you know uh, uh paying homage to what it originally was that's the fucking point um you know i think i think even fenris and many of these artists hate what black metal has become now because it's lost that it's lost this this essence of being truly animalistic, of pushing people away, of not wanting to be heard, but wanting to be new, wanting to express an aspect of humanity that isn't seen. But can you even is that even possible today? I mean, that's that's what artists keep trying, and you know they they might I mean, not succeed like, their I... first time. <laughs> and there, and they they, they might not there's succeed a lot the second more... time either. There's a lot more I feel like philosophically to discuss here. Uh, I, agree, I we, agree. We might not we might not get to it the third time we talk about this. No. But I definitely want to keep on talking about this, Matt. I definitely uh, think we should continue this discussion, maybe even as soon as next week. Because I think when it so. comes all down to it, Matt, I think you and I both know <gasps> that the fourth, the fourth time's, time's the charm. The charm. Unless you're dead. Well, or you're yeah. anonymous. Good night and good morning. And remember, everybody, punch your local Nazi. Fuck fascism. We don't support any of the ideals that some of these uh, members and individuals proposed. We are simply talking about their incredible music. And if you have suggestions or albums you want us to review next time as we follow the story of black metal, let us know over on Instagram. And have a beautiful night. Championship Wrestling from Florida in 1976. It's on YouTube. Watch it. Black metal. Blah.